Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and today, once again, we'll shine a spotlight on a program recognized by the Addiction Policy Forum for Technology and Innovation. In this episode, I'll be talking with Jack Charlier, the National Director for Justice Initiatives at TASC, that's Treatment Alternatives for Safe Communities, in Chicago, Illinois. We'll talk with Jack about a unique program he and his team developed called STEER, that's Stop triage, engage, educate, and rehabilitate, a pre-booking law enforcement and drug treatment linkage program in Montgomery County, Maryland. So, Jack, I'd like to welcome you. Thank you, Greg. Okay. So, tell us a little bit about how STEER got started. Sure. So, the idea for STEER began in 2013 at a conference between law enforcement leaders and behavior health leaders held in Chicago. And at that conference was an officer from the Montgomery County Police Department, Scott Davis, uh, myself, uh, and Bruce Kubu, who came from the Police Executive Research Forum, or PERF, and we were having conversations about what could we do as a result of this national audience of bringing together law enforcement and behavior health around things that would benefit the communities and the officers uh, that are dealing with folks who have drug addiction, use abuse issues in the United States. So uh, one of the things we did after a series of conversations about what would it look like for us to kind of do some kind of collaboration, uh, PERF does research, TASC does uh, evidence-based uh, systems change with uh, police, with courts, with behavior health, bringing that together. And of course, the Montgomery County Police Department does the work of police. And so we had first initially a series of conversations around what was it exactly that we we're after. And uh, what we did was took a look at some of the existing research around efforts like this that exist in other parts of the criminal justice system. So you look at parole diversion, for example. You look at drug courts, for example. You look at jail uh, efforts. And what we did was said, so what we're going to do is going to look something like this, except for it's going to be with police and it's going to be with treatment in the community. And that is a substantive difference. And so one of the things early on that we knew we needed was going to be a, a treatment partner. And, of course, we didn't have that in, in our initial grouping. Uh, and so from those early conversations then, reached out to the criminal justice partners in Montgomery County, Maryland, as well as the health and human services and treatment world, and from that developed kind of a core team uh, that agreed to go forward with this idea of let's do something with people 
who are suffering from substance use disorders for whom uh, the criminal activity poses little risk to public safety and is really driven by the addiction. Uh, and so you put those things together and ultimately what comes out of that is STEER, an effort by which to say that when a person's addiction is what has likely brought them to the encounter with law enforcement, that we want to give law enforcement an option by which to say instead of letting you go, i.e. doing nothing, or arresting, i.e. putting them in a criminal justice system, we want to have a couple, a couple other options available to you that involve getting you to treatment when it's appropriate for public safety. It falls under the general rubric of what are called pre-arrest diversion or pre-booking diversion or police diversion or deflection. Uh, this emerging field that's about six years old in the United States uh, has not settled on a name yet. So we have lots of terms that we use, but it's really all about the police becoming a pathway to treatment in lieu of, again, doing nothing, which means letting the person go, or arresting them. At times at which both the officer and the individual and the family and the community might know those are not the options that need to be exercised. We need to get the person connected up and engaged with treatment. Okay, so at the core of this program is this partnership between the police and the community healthcare provider for the program. So let's talk about the process of how they go about engaging, identifying, and engaging these people. Mm -hmm. So the process begins uh, with the police officer on the street who has access to, uh, via pager or via phone or via email, a, a treatment counselor that works for an engagement specialist that works for a Maryland treatment center. So Montgomery County police officer is on patrol, encounters an individual uh, who uh, appears to have or uh, might have or states that they have uh, a drug problem, right? I'm going to use that language instead of the clinical language. Who has a drug problem um, and might or might not have any criminality going on. Uh, there's no requirement uh, under STEER that someone, in fact, have committed a crime to be part of STEER. In fact, the majority of people uh, have not, uh, are not involved in criminal activity. And it's really, really important because otherwise we'd be back to the police doing uh, nothing, letting people go, or arresting them. So you don't have to have a criminal uh, record. You don't have to have uh, criminal contact in order to be part of STEER. Officers uh, have pretty decent knowledge if they've worked the same area for a while of who they're going to get the calls on, who's out there, which family members are going to call. They don't know everybody, but after a few years, like anything else, you know, you kind of get to know who people are. And in terms of uh, folks who've got addiction, uh, that's something that they're going to be aware of. And so before where they had no option other than, again, let go or arrest, here they can say, you know, I've got the ability to get you connected up into treatment. You know, let's go ahead and do that. And again, key is that there does not need to be any criminal involvement for a person to get put in a steer. Steer can also handle folks who have uh, possibly committed certain crimes, and the officer at that point has discretion based on a list of approved uh, offenses, which are uh, low public safety, nonviolent, no arson, no sex offense. Uh, no murder, no weapons offenses, no gang offenses, those are all excluded, but a certain list of offenses where the officer can use his or her discretion and say, I know that substance use is part of what's going on here. I know that you present little uh, risk to public safety. I see that what I could charge you for, arrest and charge you for, is on this list. So instead, would you like the option of going to treatment? And then there's no strings attached. That's a better option, and people recognize that. 
So they use their intuition. They target the, the people that they would like to extend an invitation into, to get into this program. And then at some point, they're utilizing this proxy risk tool that you've developed. Tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. that, if you can, Jack. Sure. So you mentioned, uh, Greg, intuition. Um, research shows that when we make uh, our decisions about an individual, um, just based on kind of what our brain can process, we're going to be right about 15% of the time. That's pretty bad, actually. And when you have limited resources, you want to make the best decision possible. To make the best decision possible, you use tools. And so two of the tools that are used uh, as part of STEER, and this is really an innovation we brought in from other parts of the justice system that have long used these tools, is a risk tool. And the risk tool we're using is proxy, uh, which is a validated tool uh, on the issue of uh, is a person, the likelihood uh, that a person will recommit, a, recommit an offense. Uh, that's the risk tool. And then we use a need tool, which is a screening for substance use disorder. Um, and on that, we're using uh, the CAGE, which is well known in the medical community and the clinical world uh, uses it too. And these are nice because both of these tools are a small number of questions, a total of six questions. And from that, you can already make a better decision by saying, hey, I see that you are low risk or high risk. And again, this is risk to reoffend, but it's not public safety risk. That's really, really important. So it's the likelihood that you're going to reoffend again. And what do you what are you most likely to do when you reoffend? And then on the need side, of course, which your audience is probably going to be very familiar with, is the uh, scoring tool or the validated tool called the CAGE to determine whether or not someone uh, needs, based on a screening, needs to go to a full clinical assessment for drug use. So what Montgomery County Police Department did was they took the uh, cage and they took the uh, proxy and they put them together into what essentially looks like a ticket book, the same kind of ticket book that the officers would use uh, if they're giving out a traffic ticket or a speeding ticket, and the officer fills it out. And what the officer is doing is scoring the tool by asking the person questions uh, about their background, as well as looking at the uh, computer that's in the car to get information. Based on that score, they can make a decision then if this person is good for STEER. Again, STEER is really focused on those folks who have what we call high need in terms of uh, drug use, abuse, and addiction, or substance use disorder, high need, um, and are low to medium risk. And again, that's not public safety risk. It's risk of reoffending, and most likely these are folks who are going to go out and uh, do things that uh, present uh, little little risk to public safety. And then that screening uh, instrument allows them also then to hand off to the case manager, the engagement specialist with Maryland Treatment Center, the score that uh, they receive. And then Maryland Treatment Center staff will go ahead and use the exact same tool and rescore it just to make sure that they're both coming up with the exact same or in the same ballpark of what the tool says. So the other pathway into STEER is an individual will overdose, in which case the police will notify STEER and the STEER counselor will go to the emergency room and when the person uh, is revived, obviously, uh, will attempt to engage the individual uh, in STEER. Now at those points, the tool is done, but because the person overdosed, we know then from that that they are high need on the substance use disorder side. So that, that's a very specific pathway, Greg, that I wanted to mention that's very relevant to not only STEER, but to many jurisdictions in the United States that might be looking at these types of initiatives. 
Okay, so that's the referral process then. So after they've completed that, then they pass them over to Maryland Health. Maryland Health is going to then do their double check as far as the numbers are concerned. They both agree. And then what happens next? Maryland Treatment Center role is to do what the research says, right, which is two critical, critical elements. One, rapidly engage the person in treatment. Uh, that's the first thing that research tells us. The quicker we can get someone in the treatment, the better. Um, and then the second thing is, is to keep them engaged, and it's the measure and the level of engagement that determines whether or not they will be successful, not only in treatment, but to begin recovery. And so when you think about that, then Maryland Treatment Center's role is ongoing. Um, the Montgomery County Police Department will check in on the individual through the, case, the steer case manager. The steer case manager will communicate back to the officer about what's going on. Because there are no charges, the person might end up back on the streets, for example, if they don't go into detox or residential treatment, and that, that's a clinical assessment that determines that. Um, the officer might encounter the person on the street, call the case manager, and the case manager will say, oh, yeah, Jack's, uh, Jack's doing fine, he's okay, uh, he's in treatment, everything's good, or, yeah, we haven't seen Jack in three weeks, um, and those are different interactions that occur then. Uh, but the Maryland Treatment Center case manager uh, then is really working on engagement, going to their home, going to treatment, finding them wherever they might be, encouraging them, motivating them, asking them how they're doing um, so that they stay engaged in treatment. And that's a really, really big deal. Uh, because of this, then, the, the steer case manager also can be found riding alongside the police officers in their cars uh, at the district station. Again, wherever contact needs to be made, Initially, and then on an ongoing basis, the steer case managers uh, are there. And that's a critical element of steer, another critical element of steer, real-time access by the police to a real live treatment person and then a real live treatment person that is maintaining contact with this individual. One of the key elements that you mentioned there is rapidly engaging them. Um, in Ohio, we've got an issue with a scarcity of resources, scarcity of beds. How do you get around that there, or do you have an issue with that at all? So in STEER, because we built this, right, we designed this, and this is what we do at TASC. We are a systems change experts, and so we designed this based on a systems approach to uh, the problem, which means that uh, having a single engaged treatment provider, that, uh, like Maryland Treatment Center, that had already criminal justice experience, not with the police, but with probation and parole, um, uh, that they would have the knowledge of how to interact with police and how to make the referral system work back and forth. And so that's important because when you bring up capacity, actually the first issue that pre-arrest diversion and deflection initiatives need to deal with is not a capacity issue, but how do I get an individual to go from law enforcement to treatment 24-7, 365 in a real incredible way that works for police, works for the individual, and works for treatment. And so uh, a partner with the skill and experience like Maryland Treatment Center with other parts of the justice system rapidly adjusted for working with the police department. And the Montgomery County police officers did a tremendous job on rapidly learning how to work with uh, a live case manager who's in their squads and in their districts and shows up at the hospital and on the streets. That is the first issue you must handle before you get to behavioral health capacity. So for STEER, we don't have a capacity issue yet. I think we're at about 185 people that have come through STEER so far. Um, but we don't have a capacity issue per se yet uh, because Maryland Treatment Center and the police are working so well together and making sure that the linkages cor work correctly so the person gets into the correct modality. Now, 
Would Montgomery County, like many of us in the United States, have uh, a capacity issue? Uh, and the answer to that is yes, they would. When pre-arrest diversion and deflection initiatives, when these are scaled up, there will be capacity issues. Um, they'll be around the modalities. Do we need more residential? Do we need more detox? Do we need more IOP, OP, whatever it might be? Um, and uh, the importance of that will be then that sites that are doing this begin to use data to forecast if this trend continues and as we add one staff or two staff right these are regular statistical forecasting where do we where will we end up at in two years if we added three staff and then now can our local capacity that are working with handle that and if not how do we build two years out and three years out for that Sure, but you've got a real good handle on what your capacity and what your requirements are going to be because you're tracking this so closely. And it's great to hear exactly. that you've got the capacity yep. right now. Um, so, uh, so that's that's really good. At the at the core here are your care coordinators. That's the core of the success. It sounds like of your program, and it's interesting that your care coordinators are co-located at the police department where they'll even participate in trainings and ride-alongs when they're not out in the field. That would seem yep. to be kind of a subtle nuance of the program, but I'll bet that really pays big dividends. Can you comment? Sure. Um, so when we built STEER, right, so we had the different partners, Police Executive Research Forum, uh, well-known experts in the policing world uh, because they're the researchers. They're the operational end of uh, Montgomery County Police. And then we had, of course, the experts in treatment at Maryland Treatment Center. Task's role in the work that we do at the Center for Health and Justice at Task is to bring in evidence-based practices where those exist uh, from the behavioral health and criminal justice system and bring those into this new arena of pre-arrest diversion. And so the use of the tool was, for example, one of them, uh, the risk-need tool, uh, bringing that in use of peers, right? Those are part of the scaling up of STEER. Um, you're going to see peers start being brought in as the budget expands. And peers, of course, are based on SAMHSA's research around being able to identify with an individual who's well-trained, well-selected, and able to uh, have affiliation uh, with the person who is going through STEER and, and vice versa. The program's been in place since early 2016? That is absolutely correct. It took us about uh, two and a half years to put this thing together. Okay. So tell us about the results, Jack. Sure. So uh, what I'm going to give you is uh, results through December 2016. Uh, we have an excellent uh, research partner in uh, George Mason University uh, on this, uh, and that's outstanding. Uh, and by the way, I will say that uh, uh, any initiative like this should be collecting data from the beginning and uh, at least doing evaluation uh, on the effort. Uh, if you don't have that, at least start collecting data. So our initiative with STEER is done by George Mason University, the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence. And we're pleased to have uh, Faye Taxman as our researcher on this. So uh, STEER, again, this is data then going through December 2016. We had 133 individuals uh, that were deflected uh, from the initial start point of March 2016. We didn't get our first individual uh, into STEER until April 2016, um, uh, but through December 2016. And uh, what we have found so far is this, of those 133 people, 41% were assessed, right? So some people get sent uh, to STEER, but then turn out not to be good candidates for STEER. Remember, there's a risk-need screening. There's a scoring system uh, that when people look further into their backgrounds, they might turns out that they have uh, a pending arrest warrant for something serious, so they're not going to be in STEER. 
So there are certain things that happen as they process along, not in the justice system, but on the treatment side also that might knock them out. So 133 people were purchased here, 41% of those were assessed, and then of those assessed, 49% agreed to participate in treatment. This is really, really important, um, that number of 49% agreed to participate in treatment, because that is right above the national average uh, in general for treatment in the United States, which sits at about 45% of people who are referred to a program and assessed uh, um, actually then agree to participate. So STEER, through its first nine months, actually was a little bit higher percentage-wise than the national average of those uh, looking to uh, actually engage in treatment after uh, assessment. Uh, and then the next kind of stats that we look at are at uh, 30 and 60 day counts of how long people have stayed in treatment. I'm going to give you just a 30 day counts because at the nine month evaluation, of course, um, you needed a certain cohort, if you will, uh, to be uh, far enough along to be 30 days into treatment, right? Everybody doesn't start on the same day. So we were at 50%, right? 50% of those who started that treatment uh, through Maryland Treatment Center, through the experts there, uh, at 30 days, we're still uh, active in treatment. And uh, that's important because the studies tend to find that at about 30 days, only 40% of people are usually active in treatment. So both on those, both on both stats at the nine-month mark, and it's very early, I want to make it clear, um, I'm not a researcher, uh, but I play one on TV. You know, I'm very sensitive to the fact that we're not trying to tout steer stats uh, as something new and miraculous. We're saying... There's something good going on here, and the early data is promising, but we have a much, you know, much, much more to go. But at uh, nine months, our 30-day uh, rate of engagement in treatment, active in treatment, is 50%. Uh, nationally, that's usually 40%. And then, again, of those assessed, 49% actually agree to participate. It's usually about 45%. So that's good. Now, what does that mean? We don't know yet, Greg. We don't know if the fact they're coming through the police uh, adds something extra them wanting to stay. We don't know if the risk-need tool is catching the right people. We don't know if the police officer's motivation and engagement. What we do know, though, from anecdotal feedback is that Maryland Treatment Center and their staff that are the ones engaging with the folks after the initial handoff, we do get anecdotal information from steer participants that that was a huge, huge factor in them staying in steer. The level of interaction and motivation and engagement that we got, and that, by the way, fits well with the research that says that's really the place where you're going to uh, help someone stay in treatment um, and engage properly uh, to be able to complete treatment. Well, I think what's unique about it is not only have you been successful in keeping a lot of people in treatment, but you've engaged people and got people into treatment that otherwise probably wouldn't have even considered it. That is correct, Greg. One of, here's the really big, big picture. Uh, well, actually, one step back from the big picture, Greg, on what's going on with deflection, pre-arrest, diversion, again, whatever term that's used. Every police officer in the United States can become then a referral or what I call a pathway to treatment. That's really super cool if you think about it, right? So the police are yes. uh, natural-born problem solvers. They really, really are very good at solving problems. But when it comes to dealing with things like substance use disorder, mental health, that's out of their toolkit, right? That, that's out of what they get trained to do. So um, in this way, through pre-arrest diversion, the police get to continue to be their role of problem solvers by partnering with behavior health entities like Maryland Treatment Center. The Montgomery County Police Department officers then get to be pathways 
to solve a problem that the community and they deal with, which is an individual uh, that has a, uh, a drug addiction and repeats over and over their contact with community members or with the police. And instead, they problem solve and say, let's get this person to Maryland Treatment Center um, and let Maryland Treatment Center and the experts there do their work. Montgomery County Police can then focus on the work that they need to do, which is fighting crime, which they do an outstanding job of, and we're problem solving that way. But the big picture that relates to that, which is kind of the line level, is every police officer in the United States, every law enforcement officer, can become a pathway to treatment that never before existed in the United States. And that's pretty cool because when you think about it, that's a lot of people substance use disorders that encounter the justice system. We know that statistically. Drugs are the number one driver of crime in the United States and in contact with the criminal justice system. It's the number one. So you do that, and then you realize every time a police officer encounters a person and they use the tools and they use what their department gives them, they can actually send this person into treatment. Whereas before, again, what were the options, Greg? Do nothing because I can't do anything with you or arrest them. And at the times, many people know that that's just not the answer that's needed, that they don't have anything else to do. Pre-arrest aversion, they do. Very powerful. Well, Jack, I want to thank you for your time today. I know you have to get back to some meetings. So any final uh, thoughts for our listeners? Sure. And Greg, thank you again for the opportunity to be part of this podcast. Um, so two final thoughts uh, when I get a chance to speak about this uh, around the country. First is just a very practical one. Any listeners, behavior health, criminal justice, community leader, elected official who says, boy, I think we need to take a look at this for our community, go ahead and contact us and get in touch with us, get in touch with the Fiction Policy Forum, and let's have that conversation because this is something that is growing rapidly in the United States. Second, kind of on the really, really big picture that I was referencing earlier in our conversation, Greg, there is a reality that we have in the United States, and that's this. We have the ability, through pre-arrest diversion efforts, to reshape the landscape of the United States so that folks who are in need of mental health treatment, so that our fellow residents who are in need of drug treatment, so that citizens who need access to care can get that through understanding that the police, and actually some of these elements are actually beginning to be done by fire departments and EMS, that they can become a referral source and we can look at behavior health and the community setting at the place where we handle these and not the criminal justice system. And that's a massive paradigm shift that the U.S. could undertake, all of which will be for the better because we know that when you give people access to treatment, whether it's mental health, whether it's substance use, whether it's a social service need, that they get better. And when people get better, they stop encountering the criminal justice system because that's not what they wanted to do in the first place. Thank you again, Jack. We've been joined today by Jack Charlier. Jack is the National Director for Justice Initiatives at TASC, that's Treatment Alternatives for Safe Communities in Chicago, Illinois. Jack has shared with us uh, the insight into a program that he and his team developed called STEER, and that's Stop, Triage, Engage, Educate, and Rehabilitate. It's a pre-booking program for law enforcement and drug treatment linkage that's really making a difference. My name's Greg McNeil. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's People, Places, and Things 
making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.